Today's Tuesday, June 23rd, 2020, and this week on the Birdland BS Podcast. Say it ain't so, more Jamal Adams and AB talk. Here we go again. There will be baseball in 2020, maybe-ish. We'll talk about it. Stefan Diggs, Torrey Smith, DJ Moore. Who do you have as this Terps' best wide receiver of all time? And we're talking the kid in this week's rundown. Stay tuned. So let's take it to the Birdland. That Baltimore home flavor is coming firsthand. Fred Scott and Ryan, tell them the word, man. Mixing a little BS to make it work, man. Sports, they got it. When excitement, the topic. Make sure when they toss you the ball, you don't drop it. With all that swag, you're going to listen regardless. Here comes the pitch, so it's time to get it started. It's Birdland BS. BS, BS. What's up, BSers? What's up, peeps? Fred, Scott, Brian, James. We got the whole crew in the house tonight. Yeah, we're all here. Not Been a while. Get, not going to get me on the phone tonight. <laughs> oh, that was kind of different. That was kind of cool. Sitting in my house doing it. I got swamped with work last week. I'm swamped this week, but you know what? I was making tonight work. I wasn't going to let it hold me hostage. No, you not were like going to get your week. ass here. I was going to come find you. Drag <laughs> your ass here. I made it. I'm here, bitches. Uh, we got a lot to talk about on this week's show. Uh, like we talked about prior. Some familiar names with the Ravens being brought up yet again. Names that we've been talking about now for weeks. Jamal Adams, A.B., some recent rumors, some discussions. Things we're going to talk a little bit about and give our takes on that. I'm sure there's some fans out there, some very popular fans that come in every week and have their opinions. I'm sure we'll be chiming in here very short. And there it is. (laughs) It didn't even take two seconds, and there is Nick. Appreciate it, Nick. Right on time. Almost as if we had that queued up. Appreciate it. There's going to be baseball in 2020, Scott. You hope. Maybe. We still have some hurdles to get over. We'll see. (laughs) That have to happen by the end of the week. The league (laughs) says there will be baseball in 2020. We'll see how many players agree with that and decide to actually show up for baseball. League says a lot of things. (laughs) That's true. That's true. (laughs) And we've been talking a bunch of different positional groups, greatest Terps of all times, and we're going to continue that this week. We're talking wide receivers this week. And there's some big names on this list. Some guys that it's going to be tough to pick one is the greatest Terp wide receiver of all time. Yeah, there's a few guys we, you know, obviously some some big names out there that we know have translated very well to the NFL, you know, that have the Terps ties. And so I'm really curious to get your take on who you think yeah. is that top tier guy. And I wasn't, know Shamel's going to chime in. It wasn't a clear cut decision for me. This one I had to really think through. Uh, Shamel actually says, no baseball, no way. And I don't care. Mm, okay. He's just a traditionalist, though. He's not much of a of a baseball fan. No, no. He's a he'll he'll, he'll chime back in. Definitely when the when the more of a college out. guy uh, is Brian. And then in this week's rundown, we're talking to kid. We're talking Ken Griffey Jr. and the new. I guess it was a thirty for 30, 30 special. I didn't even see it. No, honestly. it wasn't. It was it was MLB presents. Oh, that's right. Um, that's so it was right. MLB presents Jr. and pretty well done. I give I give MLB credit. It wasn't quite a thirty for thirty caliber, but it was pretty yeah. good. Well, before we get into too much, we want to remind you guys, if you've ever been injured at work or in an auto accident and weren't sure who to call, 855-MD-CRASH. The Maryland personal injury attorneys that will have your back. If you find yourself in that unfortunate situation, and I know I have, give our team at MD-CRASH a call right away. We all know the cost of medical bills, lost wages, and pain and suffering can all add up quickly and potentially put you in a bad financial place. If you want a team that will handle your case, big or small, and just give you that peace of mind, 
Save this number now. I tell you every week, if you haven't done it by now, you're not listening. Save this now. 855-MD-CRASH. It's 855-632-7274. Be sure to follow them on all their social medias, especially Facebook. They go live on Facebook and do giveaways constantly, including gift cards to some of the most popular restaurants in town. All right, Scott, it's time for Flock News. And uh, like I said, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about a couple of popular names, names that just keep on happening, names that keep on popping up. But before we get into that, before we talk any of that, Colin Coward, I, I, I want to get your opinion on Colin Coward before we even talk about why we're bringing his name up. Do you like Colin Coward? Because there's people out there that are really big fans of his, and there's people that cannot stand this guy. What's your stance on Colin Coward? I, I actually Period. like Colin Coward. I don't know. It doesn't mean I always agree with Colin Coward. Agreed. But I like him because I think he gives good takes on things. I think he gives, he gives honest takes on things. He has multiple times had different players and, and people on his show, and he's not – Colin Coward is not a guy to shy away from the hard questions. Yeah. The questions that fans are truly wanting to ask, and you know he's going to put you on the spot – and make you, I'm not going to say make you look bad, but in some people have complained that that's what he does. He makes you look bad if you're not going to answer it. Well, answer the question. Be honest. Like, you know, people, you're making millions of dollars from people's hard-earned money. They deserve, you know, the right answers or the true answers. And that's right. the way that a lot of fans look at it. So I I like Colin Coward. I may not always agree with him, but I like him. You basically stole my answer completely. Stole I, that I, thunder. Yeah, I, I like the guy a lot. I like the fact that he doesn't fear giving the controversial opinion, he stands behind his stance. You yeah. know, he has his opinions and he doesn't... And admits when he's wrong. <clears throat> he does. And he doesn't just mold his opinion to the popular, you know, opinion. He goes and, no. and gets really in-depth about why he feels a certain way. And that's kind of like why I like him. Full circle, he's also kind of a Closet Ravens fan, I feel like. I, I, I've felt that for the past few years. Yeah. The, every time the Ravens are brought up, it's usually in a, a good light. light. In yeah. a positive light for, from him. And it didn't stop uh, this week because he actually the topic of sixteen and zero, you know the topic yeah. that you don't you don't ever like want to bring up when the season's going on. Why like, are we even talking about this? Right, exactly. Sixteen and zero got brought up, and I thought he did a pretty good job explaining why he thought the Ravens have a legit shot out of all the teams in the NFL right now of being the team this year to go sixteen and zero. Baltimore is the first team, the more I think about it, Baltimore is the first team maybe I've ever thought that I'm starting to think they're going to go 16-0, and it's not ridiculous. First of all, Kansas City plays in a division with the Chargers. They have one of the top three rosters in the NFL. Denver's highly explosive on offense. They also are off a Super Bowl win. Kansas City have a little bit of a September hangover. Also, Kansas City has to go to Baltimore for Monday Night Football. Good luck. To the Saints. To Tom Brady in Tampa late in the year when Tom should have his act together. At Buffalo in October when it gets cold and windy and brings down both offenses. If you look at Baltimore, they bring back everybody. They upgraded, upgraded their secondary. They now have the best secondary, the best running game in the NFL. Their toughest road games at Philadelphia. They could take a bus there. They don't go west. Seattle next year travels 30,000 miles. Baltimore travels 6,000 miles. They're in a division where Cincinnati's got a rookie quarterback, Cleveland's got a rookie coach, and Pittsburgh has an old quarterback off an injury who looks like he hasn't shaved in years. 
I don't know what to make of the Steelers. I do know what to make of Cincinnati. They're bad. And as far as Cleveland goes, none of us know. But they got a rookie head coach and a rookie system in a year of pandemic when there's no OTAs and an abridged preseason. Baltimore doesn't travel. Baltimore's got continuity. Baltimore's schedule. The two teams on Baltimore's schedule that have what I would call equal talent or close, Cleveland and Kansas City. They host Kansas City, and Kansas City beat them last year, so they got a chip on their shoulder. And Cleveland beat them last year, too, and shocked them, and they've got a chip on their shoulder in the opener against Cleveland. Baltimore is a rare team for me. I think it is very possible they steamroll Cleveland early, and they just start rolling, and they don't slow down. And even as good as Kansas City is, they're going to have three or four missteps. As good as those great New England teams are, I never thought they'd go undefeated. Undefeated to me just doesn't make – I think the Niners next year are going to lose you know, half a dozen games to four or five games. I think Baltimore, no continuity, no OTAs, chip on their shoulder, schedule perfect. We may be looking at a 16-0 football team, and I don't think it's crazy. They got the best O-line in the league, arguably. Best running game, best secondary, easiest schedule, and a quarterback who was great last year and appears to be getting better. I, I can't disagree with that. I have three words. Cheers to <laughs> that. Right. A I mean, what argument that no. he made there could you not disagree with and say, wait a second, he's completely wrong and off base on this point. And I, this, isn't, this isn't us drinking purple Kool-Aid either. There's a reason that only two teams have gone <laughs> perfect through the whole entire regular season. Right. Right. So I don't want to get too big for our britches. I'm not saying that this is going to happen. But when you look at the totality of everything, how good this team was last year, 14-2, and two, like he said, the improvements that they made in the secondary, the improvements that they made in the running game, another year under MVP yeah. Lamar Jackson, you know, another year for him to improve, an improved Hollywood Brown. Uh, there's an just Im- an improved schedule. Like, think about what he said. Schedule. Yeah. The, the, that blew my mind when he said that. Seattle is 30,000 miles worth of travel. The Ravens yeah. are six. Yep. Yeah, the toughest road game we have is Philly. And like he said, that's literally a bus ride away. Right. I mean, think about it. It's across cross country. West Coast, there and back, that's 6,000 miles. Right. So all of our travel is equivalent to one trip yep. across the country. Yep. I mean, and, and I think if any team is going to benefit, quote unquote, from this whole COVID and potentially shortened OTAs and all that kind of stuff. I mean, OTAs are done. Tra- you know, as far as uh, training camp and all that stuff, we don't know what the, what's going to happen with that. But you got a team that basically returned – everybody right yeah we got a couple of guys through free agency we got a couple of guys through the draft that are going to contribute right away obviously the linebackers and whatnot will contribute right away but outside of that like you talked about the continuity of this team and they were 14 and 2 last year right i just i i can't see where this you know like there's always that team where, you know, every year somebody's getting too high on them and they say oh you know this team could run the table this team could be that you know that team and I'm not saying this with purple shades on. Like, I agree with him that this could very easily be a, 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 at least in contention for that 16-0 and 0 type yeah, of run. Yeah, there, there's, there's too much here for the, the growth of this team. And the, you know, when you talk about the, the uh, yeah, I was going somewhere with this and I completely lost my train of thought. Oh, with the statistics and all. Right. Right. When you're going down that road and you kind of alluded to it there. 
those teams that have really dove into the statistics and said, okay, here's what we're going to do. You need every benefit. Mean analytics? Yeah, the analytics and the statistics yeah. of everything. When you need every point, you literally need every yard this year because you're not going to have that time. So you got to put points on the board so that your team can rest. you got to keep that defense off the field at this right. point. But you can't be running your offense so hard and so ragged that they're struggling. Right. You have to have a balance here. And the platoon situation that the Ravens have also seemed to kind of go with over the past few years, especially on the defensive side of the ball, it's going to wind up working itself out. I also expect them to carry a few more O linemen than we originally anticipated because yeah. of that, because you need you need that endurance and you need, you need that depth. help. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I to your point, I don't think he's wrong. I don't think there's any point that is out of line that he said. And I there might be arguments out there, but I'm not drinking too much purple Kool-Aid. I just can't think of them and can't understand them right now. Yeah. Listen, I mean, obviously the biggest hurdle, like he mentioned, is going to be Kansas City. That's going to be the toughest team on the schedule. Right. But they come here, right? Yeah. Lamar Jackson. In our house. 0-2 against Pat Mahomes in Kansas City. Lamar Jackson, to me, seems like one of the most driven and one of the most motivated quarterbacks in the league. You get a guy who has this kind of a challenge in front of him who goes 0-2 against a team. If you don't think... Lamar Jackson is going to be motivated oh, yeah. to take down Pat Mahomes in Kansas City. You're sadly mistaken. I'm not saying it's a it's a layup, but you get him at at home, at the bank, hopefully in front in front of Ravens flock and a big crowd. We'll see how that whole thing shakes out with the pandemic. But I like our chances a lot better against Kansas City at home. So we'll we'll see. We'll see how that shakes out. Listen, I'm not trying to jinx anything. I saw you, Nick. Never talk about 16 and 0. You'll jinx it. And Lamar's on the Madden cover. I get it. Sam, appreciate you tuning in from Kansas City. Uh, so appreciate you uh, taking the time to chime in with us. And uh, Kamal, F the Titans. I'm there with you, man. And, and that's the other thing, right? When you look at the, when you look at last year, they were 14 and two. I know we lost in the first round of the playoffs, right? But. <sighs> Lamar actually talked about this a little bit, and we'll talk about this, right? So Lamar brought it up and said, and he's getting all kinds of attention from the national media on this. But and his coach. Yeah. He's saying that we underestimated the Titans. And the coach, John Harbaugh, kind of contradicted that, set, that, that statement and said, we just didn't play good. It wasn't that we underestimated him. We just didn't play good. And I think Lamar, what he was saying was the players. He wasn't trying to take a dig at the coaching staff that the coaching staff wasn't prepared. Yeah. I just don't think – I know for me, from playing sports, right, when you had that rivalry or when you had that team that you just wanted to beat, you took your game to another level. But when you walked in against some of the lesser opponents, some of the guys that you you felt confident in, those were typically not your best games. You went in there a little bit more relaxed. You didn't take it as serious enough. Maybe you didn't give it all your effort. And it's not because the coaches didn't have you prepared or the coaches didn't have a good game plan right. or whatever it may be. So I think these guys were just kind of talking about two different things. I think Lamar was more saying the players didn't go in there and didn't put their best foot forward. And I think look, John is kind of getting a little defensive, saying it's not that 
we weren't prepared or we underestimated them. It was more so we didn't play good. Right. Well, and I think that was John's also trying to put out the little bit of the fire that this caused in in media because, you know, you had Skip and Shannon on Undisputed going off saying that Lamar's completely wrong and that the Ravens just got their asses handed to them. And look, yeah, they got beat. They did get straight beat. There's no doubt about that. But at the same time, I think part of what Lamar, you know, was alluding to with beating themselves, you know, and, and not not being prepared mentally, that could have been the off week. It could have been maybe it truly was as to underestimating the Titans. Maybe it was they went in and said, you know what, we've played tougher opponents and they, you know, we've been able to hand them their ass. So we're going to do the same thing in this team. And they went in with too much confidence and too lackadaisical. And so that that creates that. But then you get Harbaugh coming out. I actually think Harbaugh coming out and doing this I have a pro. I actually have a problem with you just completely threw your MVP quarterback. Eh. Un- you completely threw your MVP quarterback under the just bus. Just because he doesn't agree with him doesn't necessarily mean he threw him but under the bus. But you handle that in the locker room. Eh, I don't know. I didn't have as big a problem with it. My stance on the game is still the same that it was. My stance was we abandoned the game plan too early. Greg Roman has done that. He did that in Kansas City both games. He abandoned the game plan too early. We went in there, beat up. You know, Mark Ingram was not Mark Ingram because he was still dealing with an injury. I think we had some injuries uh, at tight end as well. Like, we just weren't 100%, and we didn't give 100%. So you combo all of that, and it's nothing. It's not taking anything away from the Titans. The Titans, very much like the Ravens in 2012, got hot at the right time and were right. playing their best football at the end of that year. And they came in to Baltimore and did what they needed to do. Gave the ball to Derrick Henry and Derrick Henry ran the ball down our throat. It's called any given Sunday for a reason. Absolutely. Because 100%. any team can beat any other team on any field on any, any given day, right? That's the yep. old adage that I know I grew up with. I'm sure you did. Yeah. Like it, it, it's something that's instilled into you. The problem is when you get to the pro level, I think that it, that installation goes away until you're humbled and that's the difference with with what I think Lamar was trying to also do was he was trying to be humbled about it. Right. Right. It wasn't he wasn't trying to be like, well, our defense didn't show up or, you know, we did. No, right. we underestimated. We put it on ourselves that we didn't work hard and as hard as we as we needed to to get the job done. That's what I think he means by the underestimated. And that's why I have the problem with John Harbaugh. Okay. Talking to him. I mean, I, I get it. I see your point. Yeah, I see your point. So. so I don't know. So <laughs> this brings up an interesting discussion, something that we've talked about a couple of times, right? Eric DaCosta is always spinning his web, trying to figure out ways to improve this team, right? <laughs> and, and Nick Short, this is your time. This no, is your, this no, is your no, time, buddy. No, we're not going. We're not going to go down that road yet. We'll get there. We're going to save that for. <laughs> we'll save that for later. Uh, so the rumor mill has been going really since last year, right? Last year, yeah. uh, there was some buzz about Jamal Adams uh, potentially being traded and the Ravens being connected to that. And Jamal Adams publicly said like he would love to play with Mark Marcus Peters and just play in this system, like it would it would fit him very well. Tony Jefferson has reached out to Jamal Adams and said, said "You'd Dude, be a great fit. You'd yeah. be a great fit here, right?" And then it kind of sparked up again right before the NFL draft this year. Then it kind of fizzled out a little bit. Well, he's officially requested a trade from the Jets. Yeah. And he listed seven teams that he thought he could, you know. He, he wanted to go he to. He wanted to go to. Ravens, Cowboys, Texans, Chiefs, 
Eagles, 49ers, and Seahawks. Of course, the best of the best. <laughs> All the top echelon teams in the NFL right so, now. Here's the only thing that, like, I get all but one. Can you guess which one I don't understand? The one you don't understand? Texans? Yes. Yeah. Look at what just happened it's, with DeAndre Hopkins. And I and I, I looked at the list and I thought the same thing, but he's a Texas kid. He's that from was the Texas. only thing I, I wasn't sure where yeah. he was where he was from in Texas with Cowboys and Texas. Okay, so either he, way, he's close to home. He grew up a, a Cowboys fan, huge Cowboys fan. Wants to play yeah, for the he Cowboys. Said, he told a bunch of fans he wanted. Well, to. yeah. So he had a fan. This was on Twitter. There was a uh, fan that took a video, saw Jamal Adams in a parking lot somewhere, and asked him, "Like, dude, are you coming to the Cowboys?" And he said, "I'm trying. I'm yeah. trying." So, I think the kid in him. Says I want to be a cowboy. It's a it's a, it's a professional dream. I mean, right. to play for the the team that you you grew up watching and and take them to the next level. He's I mean he's arguably one of the best, if not the best, safety in football right now. But this becomes, in my opinion, this becomes more realistic now for the Ravens. Before, I didn't really think the Ravens were even going to go down this path, right? Because I thought what you would have to give up and the improvement that you would have over an Earl Thomas or, you know, having him with an Earl Thomas, I didn't know how much that would improve the team. It's, it's no denying the talent level of this kid, right? But what you'd have to give up in order to get the kid. We've had, right. these, we've had yeah. these talks, right? Yeah. So I wasn't 100% sold on it now, on then. But now that you get him officially announcing that he wants to be traded, his trade value now drops. Right. Because now, like, it's basically forcing the Jets' hands to trade him. You know, that before where the tra- the Jets didn't have to trade him. Well, yeah, it's the fear now, that he's not going to he's not going to perform on the field because you he's didn't He's not going to perform, he's not going to show up, he's going to do something to hold out whatever it may be. So now you're at a point if you're the Jets, you got to get something for him. Yeah, you can't just let him let him go without getting something for him. Right. So I had brought up the the potential move uh originally, this was weeks ago when we first started talking about this of trading Matt Judon because that gets rid of a big portion of salary, right? Gets rid of all that money that he signed for the franchise tag. I mentioned trading him and potentially a first-round pick. Now, you got to think about what the Ravens' possibility of a first-round pick is going to be. The Ravens, I mean, if you're being realistic, are probably going to be picking 29th through 32nd right? Yeah, in the first round. So how much of that is really a quote-unquote first-round pick or you look at it as a high second-round pick, right? You you jump ahead of everybody for that second wave at that pick. Yeah. Some of these other teams that might be in the low teens have a better shot, but I don't think that they're going to be giving first-round picks away now, right? So I think most teams are going to be looking to buy Jamal Adams for a couple of mid-round picks maybe a second and a third or two seconds or you know whatever it may be yeah where the ravens can then come in and just say hey we can keep matt judon we don't have to give up matt judon but we can give you our first because to us it's a 30th through 32nd pick anyway we jump ahead of any other team that's in that second round the only way that somebody might outbid us is if they give up their first right you understand what I'm saying? So I think this improves our chances if Eric DaCosta wants to go down I, that road. I, I get where you're saying. I, my only and biggest hesitation is what did all of this start over? It all started over the fact that he wanted contract extensions, yeah. right? Yep. So what if he gets, you get him, you make that happen, he gets here, 
you still have what next year after this year. You know, you have I think it's one year after this year, right? Is last, that what we said? Next year's is last so year. So next year's is last year. What if he decides to pull the same crap? Yeah. Right? That's that's a risk with the Ravens. The Ravens don't make this move unless they've got some sort of back deal, backdoor agreement in place for a long-term deal. That's the only way that they make this move, right? And the Ravens have to come to Jesus and say, does Jamal Adams make us better long-term or does Matt Junon make us better long-term? Because with all the contracts coming up on the offensive side, there's no way in hell they're going to be able to afford both of those guys long-term and all the offensive guys so in the next couple I'm going to force you to answer that question. What's the answer to that for you? For me, I think this secondary is already set for what it is. So as much as as much as I like Jamal Adams, the player, and thinking long-term, you know, this is a guy that's just entering the prime of his career, super Still young, rookie contract, and, and yeah. an elite safety in the league. But when you look at how good our secondary is already, and you're planning on keeping these guys around, Marcus Peters is now going to be here for the next three years. You're going to sign Marlon Humphrey long-term. You have to. Right. You've got two more years, including this year, out of Earl Thomas. You just signed um, our other safety. Oh, my God, I can't think of his name right now. I'm blanking. Um, oh, not Tony Jefferson, but... Uh... No, the young kid. Chuck Clark. Chuck Clark. Chuck Clark. Chuck Clark. You just signed Chuck Clark to a couple-year deal. Uh, so you're invested so much already in that secondary. It's already at an elite status without Jamal Adams. Right. You know what I mean? I think that paying somebody to have that pass rush up front, to me, right now is more important to this team because think about what our options would be if you lose Matt Judon. If you don't have Matt Judon here yeah. after next year, who's rushing the quarterback? And I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up because that's that's where my thought process was is Matt Judon. That's why I, I like to me, I know you said Judon at first, but to me, long term in that situation, Judon is way more valuable long term for the simple fact that if you take Matt Judon away, no offense to anybody else on that defensive front because they all can play. Right. But all the contracts are up in what, two years? Right. One, one year, two years. Next, so all you're getting two, out of these three guys. years are going to be an extreme challenge for the Ravens. Right. Financially. So if you don't lock up Judon to a long term deal, right, you're screwed. Especially if you want to keep Humphrey. You've got Peters. You know, you maybe you do something with with Earl Thomas later on. I just don't see that. I don't see the value there. Keep in mind, this whole coronavirus could have a very negative impact on the cap totality. For next year, so I would say for next year, because then I know the following year there's some there's some additional revenue uh, from TV revenue and everything right. that, that's coming in. Which I heard rumors, and I haven't been able to clarify. Have you heard the rumors that some of that is the is the idea that we were talking about with potential packages? Yeah, I heard about that. As far as a different like pay per view, right? Like listening to players and all kind that stuff. Of a, we talked about it. It would yeah. be genius, it and would it would be. help. So, be yeah. something I'd sign up for. Exactly. Absolutely. Um. But all right. So. <laughs> I guess we, let's go. We're, we're gonna go down this circle because it. it opened up. You opened up the door to Pandora's box. Yeah, AB, right? It, the ability to do something with AB, that door can get opened up yet again. Well, they did open it up because apparently the Ravens and Seahawks have had some internal discussions about Antonio Brown. Now, internal discussions is very vague. You and I have had internal discussions. <laughs> they haven't gone well about AB. So, you know, maybe the Ravens are just 
passing the buck around and saying why he's not a good fit here and all agree with us. I don't know. Or me, at least. Yeah, we'll see. I, I don't know. I Listen, again, I say this every week. It's not about his football ability. They, they, so don't even question it. We all know. No. Yeah. Any common sense football fan knows A.B. would add a total another d- dynamic to this offense. Paired him with his cousin and what they can do on the outside, it, it would be The crazy. deadliest family tandem we've ever seen. It, it would be insane. Yeah. But it's just the risk is so high on it as far as what he can do to a locker room. We saw what it imploded in Pittsburgh. We saw what everybody was all hyped when he was going to, to the Patriots. And then what did that last? One game? Yeah. How long did it last, right? He was all hyped up about going to Oakland or, you know, when he signed the big deal with the Raiders. How long did that last, right? And the Raiders tried to do everything that they could. The Raiders are also a shit show. Let's I know. Be real. I get that. I understand that. But how many times are we to go down this road? How many opportunities are we to give this guy? I'd rather somebody else take him. I get it. I understand what he brings on the field. I get it. But I just, I don't want that problem. Yeah. I, I don't I don't either if unless he's fully remorse and, and has you know there's some back end discussion about that, that's the only thing. Um but moving on, there was other news this week with friend of the show, yeah, Matt Skura, who passes his conditioning test. Now you and I were talking about this before. You actually did a research on what this conditioning test actually yes. entails. Yeah, so shout out to Matt Wise, a Russell Street Report. Matt Wise put together a tweet the other day and uh, challenged all of Raven's flock to go out there and see, put your money where your mouth is type thing. See if you can get past this conditioning test. Let me lay out the parameters of what this conditioning test is, okay? So it's you have to run three 25-yard shuttles. So if you don't know what a shuttle is, a shuttle is 25 yards up and 25 yards back. So it's 50 yards per shuttle. So you got to run 150 yards, rest for 70 seconds, and repeat that. You got to repeat that six times. That's 900 yards, right? And for offensive linemen, guys of my size, my stature, that are probably much better shaped than I am, right? They have to complete this that those run cycles each one of those cycles in less than 35 seconds or they fail. So you might think like, oh, you know, 35 seconds to run 150 yards, 25-yard shuttles, it's not a whole lot of time, right? And you're probably right for maybe the first or two cycles. But you have to run six of those cycles and you legit only get 70 seconds of rest in between them. Can I ask a question? When the fuck is a lineman running 150 yards it's in all, 35 seconds it's all about endurance man it's it's these guys got to be out there oh, I, know I know short burst but it's crazy and that's why if you've ever watched any veteran players that come through here and talk about it everybody says the ravens conditioning chest yeah. is one of the toughest conditioning tests tests in all league yeah that's insane. Like, I had never actually heard what it was. I didn't know what it was. I, I, for some reason, in my head, I had this, like, Olympic event type thing in my head where they had to do all these different things. They had to run hills. They had to do push-ups. They had to do bench press. They had to do all run these things. Run through the tires. Right. When I hear <laughs> conditioning test, I think it's all these things, but it's legit just 25-yard 25, 25 shuttles. But, again, 
that's a whole lot of running in a very short period of time. Uh, yeah, I think if you this ask- guy can't do it, I know for sure I wouldn't <laughs> be able to do it. There's no, I, way. Might, I might be able to might be able to pull it off, but it would be tough. But the suicides other- in basketball, Nick. That's a it's a very good comparison. Yeah, very good comparison. But the the thing with with this, I would say is when you're looking at that 900 yards in literally under five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're getting, you know, well, maybe, maybe, nine, it's, not, maybe it's under, nine, maybe it's under eight minutes or something like that. Nine look football at fields, nine football fields. Now, you know, playing football and I, I can remember like a couple of plays, you know, I was, I was a tight end. Right. So I made a couple of plays in my day. There were a couple of big catches that I made and, and I'm talking 60, 70 yard runs. I was gassed, gassed after running 60 or 70 yards. Did you all and see this... his head get a little bit bigger as he started talking about that? <laughs> I'm just saying, <laughs> 60, Go. 70 yards, right? And this is in the pinnacle of when I was in good shape, right? These guys are running 900 yards. Yeah, it, <sighs> it, 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 it's, it is ridiculous. It, you know, the, it reminds me, when I when I think of conditioning test two, the, what's the movie? Uh, gosh, it's, uh, it's the movie where the kid crawls on his he has the kid on his back and he crawls he makes he's like you're gonna crawl like to the 50 yard line or something like that and he winds up crawling the entire length of the field with this almost 200 kid, pound kid on his back i don't know somebody help me out no with what movie i'm talking about i'll have to google that man oh man all right I'll, we'll figure it out i'll figure it out for after show but it reminds me of that it's you know you're you're doing this one time with this 200 200 pounds yeah it's all about crawling like with your... denzel washington uh no no it's no. not remember the titans remember the titans no it's not remember the titans it's okay. i'll, I'll have I think to, it's I'll a charlie it. sheen movie he's thinking about almost uh, no i don't think it i don't think charlie sheen was in that one. i'll look it up i'll, I'll find it and, and let you guys know but yeah it's it's crazy what the what the conditioning test and this that just goes to show you i mean i i might be able to get it done i probably would have a hard uh, time doing it i'd put money on you wouldn't be able to get it done we can live stream it if you want to try if you sure. want to try, I'll put a I'll put a hundred bucks. I would put a hundred bucks on it live stream that you could not do it, and you only have to give me fifty. So I'll double it up. I'll give you a hundred <laughs> bucks if you can do it. You give me we fifty. Have if to do you this. Can. We have to do a, we have to do a live stream. Not, I am by no means participating in this, <laughs> other than just recording it. I will be in a lounge chair with a little umbrella and a cool drink while you are running these shuttles. Go ahead, James. I just want to say. Uh, if Jamal Adams comes here, remember I said on on the show I'll do thirty three push ups. Yeah, there you go. All right, well we're gonna hold you to it. <laughs> yeah, no, we're gonna hold you to it. I would do thirty three to match his number. I'll do thirty three. Yeah. Can All we right. some, can we somehow get Jamal Adams to change to ninety nine? <laughs> oh, good God. <laughs> All right, so I want to bring up another topic. This is something that you had actually asked me a couple of weeks ago, and you know we kind of talked about it a little bit, but I want to get your take on it. Right, so. All these new additions that the Ravens have coming in, we've talked about it. You know, J.K. Dobbins at the running back position, Calais Campbell, the big free agent get, uh, or not free agent, but the the big trade, I guess. Uh, You know, D.J. Fluker, he was a big addition for the offensive line, possible replacement for Marshall Yonda. Uh, Derek Wolf's going to add some versatility on the defensive line. Uh, And then, obviously, Patrick Queen, first-round draft pick, linebacker is probably going to be a day-one starter. Out of all these guys, this coming season, 2020, who do you think has the biggest, most significant impact in year one? Not future, not career, year one, who has the biggest impact? 
year one, I'm going to actually, I, I'm going with the first round draft pick. I'm going with Patrick Queen. And it's because I think he truly solidifies the middle of the field there, right? What's one of the biggest struggles that we've seen and we've had, even when CJ Mosley was here, as much as he wants to say he can play pass coverage, we, he, he sucked at it. We, we had so many problems with him. Patrick Queen, I think, provides you the ability to, you already have a run stopping front up front already. Right. You can then put that with the pressure that you're going to get on the outsides. And then you back that up with a guy that can cover over the middle, hopefully at the NFL level, and be able to stop some of these tight ends. You're going to take away a lot of offenses. Not saying this is going to happen by any means, but we talked you know, a few weeks ago about that 2000 Raven defense and how good they were by the numbers. Yeah. If biting from injury and on paper, this team plays the way that we think we could, we could see them play. We could wind up seeing a 2000 like defense. Yeah. But you're talking the totality of the defense. I'm talking about the single most impactful player out of all these additions. And of all those, he solidifies the one place that you get killed time again and time and again. All right. That over the middle, we get killed on a regular basis. Why do you think we struggled so much against a guy like Tom Brady? Because he'd kill us over the middle, and the one time you bite over the middle, he sees the man deep and hits him. That's the type of, of type of player that Patrick Queen's going to be, is he's going to be able to stop that. But he also is going to allow you to put pressure on the, the run game, and if you have to blitz him, you can I agree with pretty much everything that you said. I do think that Patrick Queen uh, is going to have a a huge impact on this defense. I just don't know how impactful he'll be year one. And the reason I say that is because it's a big learning curve going from college to the pros. He didn't play a ton at LSU. He was kind of forced into a role and then because of injury and then all of a sudden flourished right in his last year. So he doesn't have a ton of experience. I think he's got the highest ceiling, and I think in year two, year three, he could be a potential Pro Bowl-type player. I do believe that in this guy. I really think the sky's the limit for Patrick Queen's ability. But year one, most impactful, hands down for me, is Calais Campbell. Because... What he's going to bring on that defensive line, you, he's he's super versatile. You can line him up inside, you know. It, it, you can line him up at one technique all the way out to the edge. Right. You can line him up anywhere. You can. And flexibility, yeah. You're going to get an interior pass rush that was non-existent last year in this defense, right? And he's a guy. He's a veteran. He's a multi multi-time pro bowler all all pro played his best couple of years these last couple of years in in jacksonville we've talked about it uh and again even though he's going from jacksonville to baltimore he's played against all these different offensive systems right so it's not going to be a big adjustment for him it's basically just where do i line up and what's my assignment right here's here's the one thing i'm going to say about that right what's the one big thing that we've heard out of players that are coming here and I don't want to say struggle, right? But they the one common thread that we hear of any any defensive player that's coming that's that's notable is coming from another team, established, right? The biggest thing we hear is how difficult this defense is to learn and understand, right? We and heard that a lot from uh, from Earl Thomas. You heard it from Weddle when Weddle came too. Yeah, I, I don't know. Weddle had a had a pretty easy or pretty smooth transition from you know uh, San Diego over to Baltimore. I think Earl Thomas struggled because they really just ran cover two 
out in Seattle. That's all they did, yeah. right? So, yes, from a complexity standpoint, you're 100% right. But when you're talking defensive linemen, defensive linemen are, as far as complexity, it's pretty simple. It's where do I line up and what's my assignment? Right. That's it. So basically, as, as long as you learn the terminology, the verbiage of the offense or the defense, he'll be fine. And then what he brings just as a player, right? His his pass rush ability, again, from an – His had grit none, determination, yeah. We had none on the interior of the defensive line. I just think, personally, that he'll have the biggest impact year one with all these additions. All right, Scott, it's time for the Liquor Stop Brew of the Week. And what the hell is this Hardway Summer Lager we're drinking on today? So this is uh, it's from Old Ox Brewery, which is actually right down in Ashburn, Virginia, literally right across the line. Okay. Um, so right down near D.C. This is their seasonal brew. Uh, it's a golden lager, as they say, brewed the hard way. Uh, they actually ferment this. Most, most beers get fermented. Uh, at a at a little bit higher or a little bit lower, mm. uh, so either you're down in the down in the low th- low to mid thirties or you're up in the sixty five seventy range. This is kind of brewed middle of the middle of the road um, with fifty degrees. So with this one, it it it's got I mean, it's got a nice bite. It's very smooth, and for being a beer that's only got what was it? I uh, got a five point five five. Yep. Right. I, I don't mind sitting. These are definitely a summer beer. I don't yeah. mind sitting back and pounding, pounding a few nah, of these. This is pretty good. I'm a big lager fan. I love lagers. So this is a good one. Uh, like I said, out of Ashburn, Virginia. Make sure you get up to Liquor Stop. Tell them Birdland BS sent you. Get your 10% off Hardway's Summer Lager. All right, Scott, it's time for bros, bows, and O's. Even though there's not a whole lot of O's talking this, we're talking Major League Baseball. We're talking baseball's back. Maybe. Ish, sort of, or we'll all the see. above. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> so, so what guy. happened? What happened in the last right. twenty four hours? I know we had talked about like all the different offers that the well, you know. Let's, let's give a quick rundown of how we got to today, right? All right. So MLB's a mess. Yes, Joe. Agreed. Yeah, MLB and MLB MLB gave a proposal last Wednesday to the Players Association. And it was literally Monday. They rejected it. They voted. It was a 33 to 5 rejection against it. So what they what the MLB proposed, 60 games in 70 days with a season starting July 19th through September 27th, full prorated salaries, um, expanded playoffs in 2021 and the waiving of any potential grievance on both sides. Okay. MLB said no. And they countered with get this. 10 more games in 70 days. These players did not want to break. They wanted their money is what it was. Correct. So July 19th, September 30th, it was only three days difference really on what they were projecting. But they also wanted a 50-50 split of TV revenues for the additional 2021 playoff games. Of course it did. And they wanted the universal DH in 20. 2020 and 2021. And this is the one that completely threw me for a loop and actually started to piss me off. They wanted to grant the club's permission to sell advertisements and patches on the uniforms for 2020 and 2021. They literally approved to become NASCAR. 
NASCAR, but you're seeing this also in the NBA too. The NBA starting to adopt some of the sponsorships on their jerseys and stuff. I think this is just naturally going to happen, especially in a sport that's struggling. Let's be real. Because they're struggling, look at what happened. You remember about, uh, I don't know, 94, 95 when we all went through this. Do you remember what happened in all the stadiums? Every outfield wall became a giant advertisement. Yeah, much like a minor league stadium. If you don't think that MLB jerseys would become NASCAR jerseys, <laughs> you're out your damn mind. Nah. Because these these owners have shown once that they will do it. They will do it again. And if you're going to put it on you, on the player, who is go- those jerseys are going to get, not only are you going to get the revenue from the ads on TV, but the jersey sales. You're going to get all that stuff. Joe and, uh, Joe and Brian both said Europe does it a lot in soccer. So, yeah. So yes, it is out there. This, but my this point is, is, a, is another the- good way for owners to make more revenue, which then supposed to be passed down to the players, right. depending on how that whole agreement's out. I don't have a problem with this. Like, I listen, if it takes a patch being put on an Orioles uniform to get guys back out of the field, I'm I, for it. I don't mind it. And I agree with you. But my issue is we saw what happened when the when the players association granted them to do that back in 94 95. You can't t- these player jerseys would come into NASCAR jerseys and completely take away from the jersey. I would probably never buy a jersey that had that on it. But are you a period. fan of the jersey or are you a fan of the team? I'm a fan of the team, but I'm also a fan of a clean look. I mean, I feel like that's kind of I don't know. But I don't want them Let going me ask to you like this. the 80s Did- and 70s Orioles jerseys either. I don't want them to see all those, you know, uh Oh, come on. You don't want the mil- you don't want oh, the millennia you don't want the millennia jerseys that we had? Oh, Christ. The cut-off <laughs> sleeves? Oh, they're Oh, well, the style <laughs> of the jersey doesn't have to change, but adding <laughs> anyway. a patch or two because of the sponsorships and you put levels to it. Like if that's your most expensive sponsor is to be on the jersey and it should be because you're going to see it all, all game the time. long. Yeah. It should be absolutely take pride and be the top selling advertisement so it's really going to only be a few companies out there they're going to pay that kind of money yeah i don't know we'll see but anyway all that fast forward so the players association rejects it mlb rejects theirs the owners got a vote with uh rob manford coming forward and saying we're going to go ahead and go ahead with a 60 game season let's vote on it unanimous for the, by the owners for a 60-game season. Yep. Spring training starting July 1st. The season itself starts around July 24th. Kicker, yet again, full prorated salaries. as That's what they signed in the March agreement. Equates to 37% of the normal salary if, if all 60 games are played. Right. But we still have a few humps to get over. A, a potential grievance that's filed. Because one thing that everybody is forgetting, if they do file a grievance, the owners do have the right to stop that grievance. Or not stop the grievance, but then stop the the season. Mm -hmm. Which, quite possible. You also have the fact that the players still have yet to agree to the health and safety protocols, which they have until Friday. Right. If we play baseball. Yeah. I mean, there's listen, there's a lot of ifs, but at this point... I feel like the owners have done everything that they can as far as putting out different proposals. They, I mean, we we told it how many different ways can you paint a pig, right? Because they seem to just keep coming to the same conclusion. I think I found a pretty good way up here. Right. They were painting it with a roller. They were painting it with a brush. They were painting it with color, you know, watercolors. They were doing everything they could, but at the end of the day, they're painting a pig. It all comes out to be the same. 
Yeah, I mean, Rob Manfred and, and Tony Clark are two pigs and clowns. <laughs> yes, yes. That's exactly Agreed. what's going on here. So, listen, I, I think ultimately there will be baseball this year. This is just my opinion. I know, I know nothing other than just giving my opinion. I think there will be baseball this year. I do think that top echelon of players, that top 10%, you know, the guys that are all voting in this players association <laughs> to keep you can tell the five guys that aren't making a lot of money. <laughs> right, exactly. I think all those guys may hold out. Those guys may not play this year. But I don't think there's a single Oriole on our roster that would hold out. There's nobody that, you know, outside of maybe Trey Mancini, if he was healthy and able to play. I don't think he'd do it. And I still don't even think he would do it. Right. There's nobody on this Orioles team I see holding out. It's going to be those top echelon players. Maybe the Mike Trouts of the world. You know, those kind of guys. That top 5 to 10% that might hold out. And you know what? Fuck it. I'm all right with that. I'm okay with it. Do I, of course, do I want to see Mike Trout play? Yes, he sells. He's a great baseball player. But at the end of the day, I'd rather have something than nothing. Something's better than nothing. Right. And, I, and I agree. I agree. This, this is what the conversation that we got it. We got into a few weeks ago where right. it's like, look, if you have all the main, all the big guys hold out, that that's one thing. But when you have even guys that are already on the major major league roster, they don't have these astronomical contracts like a Manny or you know any of those guys. They have just regular contracts or average contracts or below average contracts. Those guys are still going to be there. So a lot of the names are going to be there. My biggest issue when before when we were talking about it was, if you say as a MLBPA, we as a group are not going to play. Everybody's supposed to be in agreement at that point or everybody's supposed to follow. So at that point that you get back what we had back when then they, they alluded to it in the Jordan documentaries. Yeah. When we had the holdout there, they go to the minor league players and say, you're going to play because we're calling, we're recalling your contract or we're calling your contract. Jordan being who Jordan was said, no, I'm not going to because he gets players associations. He he's been in one. He, right. he understands it. These younger guys don't. And they're guys that don't necessarily care. That's what's going to wind up happening. But, but hopefully, hopefully it doesn't. Um, you know, hopefully the grievance, if they file a grievance, that is something that is possible. They can file the grievance later after the season gets started. They have uh, so many months or years or whatever it is. But this is just going to cause giant problems for the CBA that's going to be coming up. Yeah, it absolutely is. I Baseball is a shit show right now. It's no other way of explaining it. But even beyond this, even beyond the the disagreements and everything, right, we don't know what these next couple of weeks, if we're talking about what, getting back to spring training in the in the mid to end of July, right? Or I'm sorry, this the season starting in mid to end of July. Yeah. A lot can change in the next three to four weeks globally, you know, with us as far as this pandemic goes, right? We're already seeing numbers in some of these southern states spike. Yeah. Right. They shut down all spring training facilities to disinfect and do all of that. Major League Baseball announced that last week. Uh, a lot can happen. Right. So yeah. you can agree to all you want or disagree to all you want. At the end of the day, Corona might trump everything. Yeah. I mean, and, it, and baseball doesn't happen regardless. It's it's very well possible. And we could definitely see a lot of different things. You're seeing it with uh, with some of the shutdowns in, you know, NCAA and NFL. Like you're seeing all these different things start to happen. Um, so I. I, I'm curious to see how they approach. I definitely think you will not, outside of maybe, maybe the playoffs, you will not see fans in the stands for baseball this year. Yeah. All right, Brian, it's time for a social media shout-out. I haven't paying attention to a whole lot of the comments, but I've seen a lot of the familiar names. 
Who do we got coming in today? So, hold on one second. <sighs> Rookie move. Uh, <laughs> so let me run this down. We got a Kamal, Justin, Nick, Sam, Ryan, and Craig Zero. So I asked the question to a lot of the guys out there. I said, what do you guys think, baseball or no? And I'm going to say the consensus, man, is no baseball, Yeah, which which is a shame. I get it. I get it. And I, I honestly think, and I think we've said this before, is that if we don't have baseball, I don't know if they can recover. It's going to be because, real hard because, for them, Because you're not going to have, I know, foreshadowing, you're not going to have Ken Griffey, you're not going to have the home run chase, you're not going to have yeah. the Cal Ripkins that are going to bring the attention to the sport like they're going to do right now. So it's going to be hard for baseball to come back. 100%. Um, so Nick Short brought this up. He said, why not trade Earl Thomas for for Adams? The problem with that is New York's got to want Earl Thomas, right? And Earl Thomas comes with a kind of hefty price tag. Uh, he's only got two years left on his deal. Some people have questioned whether he's the same Earl Thomas now that he was you know, a few years back when he was in Seattle. So I get... <laughs> why that would be the the smart move and that would be the easy move for the Ravens to do, right? Trade, trade one guy for, at one position for a, another guy at the same position that's younger and better. But the Jets got to be on board with that and I just don't see that happening. Although, the odds of that increase slightly with him now requesting the trade. True. And the uh, the other question I got is Justin Marshall. This one made me made What's up, Justin? chuckle. He said, can the players tattoo company logos on their arms as well? <laughs> that made me chuckle. There was, uh, one, there was one I did want to bring up that I saw Craig Zero asked earlier. Yes, when we were I was talking getting ready to bring that up, too. <laughs> he, he was talking about, he said, hey, li-, he said, I listened to the uh, John Harbaugh interview. It seems like he was not talking or taking his part of the blame for the Titans game. What's your guys' thoughts? And, and we talked about this a little bit. I, I said that I think they were <laughs> they were ultimately talking about the same thing, that <laughs> Harbaugh's comments were, we just got beat. That we were we, we were outplayed that game. We we're out game planned. We were out. We were out. We were outplayed that right. game. He didn't say out game planned because that would have that been putting ownership on the coach. He didn't say anything <laughs> yeah. about game plan. He said we were outplayed, yeah. right? And I think Lamar was alluding to the same thing because I think when he was saying that we didn't take him serious enough. It was more so the players, not a preparation thing, right? not a coaching thing. But I do think, and we've said this since that loss, that it does fall on the coaching staff because I think Greg Roman and the offensive system abandoned what got us there and, early. And that's why I think that's why I think Craig is, is saying that he, did, he didn't take his part of the blame, you know, meaning, meaning that he's not saying, you know what, after going back, looking at the tape, looking at everything. He didn't take ownership. Yeah, we, we didn't. We didn't follow the game plan. We shouldn't have done it. He never took ownership. He still hasn't. And that's, that's probably the most frustrating part of it all. 100%. 100% agree. All right, man. It's time for this week's Shell and Tell, uh, which if you haven't checked out our latest episode, make sure you do so at Shell and Tell Pod. Uh, you can find us on our YouTube page, Shell and Tell. Uh, we did a latest interview with Ellis McKenney, former, Ra- so or former Terps offensive lineman. It was a great interview, made Sports Illustrated. Uh, so if you haven't had a chance to check that out, make sure you do so. Uh, but listen, this week, not a whole lot of news going on with the Terps. Not nope. much has changed. Uh, but we did see on social media, Stefan Diggs was at the house at College Park in the new facility. In a damn Bills helmet. <laughs> I saw you say something about that on social media. I'm like, eh. I can't, I, no, I said it to him because he, he commented, he tagged us in, and I went, get that shit off the Maryland field. Uh, it doesn't bother me. I like the fact that he was down there. He's running routes. He's down there, you know, 
and posting videos about it. This is a guy who's one of the top wide receivers in the league right now, yeah. right? Just signed this mega deal or got traded. I'm sorry, got traded and then, you know, is playing with the Bills now. Still on a mega deal either way. <laughs> Still on a mega deal, right. Uh, it brings good, positive attention to the Terps, to the program there. And I, I was happy to see Talia out there throwing him passes, and it looked pretty good. I it, liked what I saw. It did look good. I think he also came. I think he also was there because they they were putting. They're still putting some touches and still doing some things with with the old Cole Field House. But they're uh, you know they they redid the 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 field there. So yeah. you saw some of the shots of that. Some of the up from upstairs. It actually looks pretty good. I, yeah, I was very, very great. impressed. Yeah. Um, so I think he came down to probably see that. And it was while he's there. He's, uh, you know, why don't, you, why don't you throw me some balls? You know, right. that, that type of thing. I got my helmet in the car. Let's go. Uh, these guys are desperate to get in any kind of work that they can possibly get in right now. Well, NFL, what, NFL told them they shouldn't be working out together. So fine. I'll go work out with the college athlete. That's exactly right. So it was good. It was good to see Talia out there. It's good to see Stefan Diggs back in the house. And it started getting me thinking, man, I, I, I just how good Stefan Diggs was yeah, as a Terp, right? Considering all the things that he went through, I mean, all the different re- quarterbacks that he had in his, in his years here between him and DJ Moore, I mean, they had probably the worst Those run of quarterbacks. <laughs> they, I mean, really, and, and he was the first one, in my opinion, to start this whole you know, DMV to UMD and staying home, right? He was the first one to take that stance publicly when he announced where he was going. It was no better place than to stay home, yeah. right? So it got me kind of going down memory lane with some of the great wide receivers that I got a chance to to, to see play. And, you know, we've been doing this whole comparison now for weeks. You know, some of the greatest players it. at, you know, certain positions. We did it with the basketball squad and point guard. Yeah. So I wanted to get your take. I'll let you open with this. In your opinion, and we've got some big names out here, right? We're talking, obviously, Stefan Diggs. We're talking Torrey Smith. We're talking DJ Moore. We're talking Darius Hayward Bay, Jermaine Lewis. I mean, we got a list of names here. Who is your greatest Terps wide receiver of all time? This is definitely a tough one, right? Because... You know, you start to lean towards, you know, maybe like a DJ Moore. You know, obviously, Stefan does well. Tori does well. DJ Moore, for him, for me with him, you know, the consecutive games that he played, what, 35 consecutive starts, 33 consecutive games with a catch. It's impressive. Eight, yeah. like, you're, like you said, eight different quarterbacks showing the, the versatility, you know, of, of what he was able to do. The production he put up with that many quarterbacks literally at one point had a linebacker throwing him passes. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I lean towards him, right? But I'm going to go Homer with with this, and I got to go for me with Torrey Smith. Torrey Smith, okay. And the reason I do this is because he is, in program history, he holds the most all-purpose yards with 5,264 yards. In three seasons at College Park, now you four, can you imagine if he had four seasons at College Park? Yeah, we could be we could be looking at sixty five hundred yards, the way he played. Right. Then he's able to kind of translate it over. You know, not to mention the versatility of the kickoff returns that he was able to do. Yeah. But he had what three kickoff returns for touchdowns? Yep, most ever by a turn. So it, there, there's just a lot to like here with Tory to not say 
that doesn't translate. I mean, obviously, him coming to the Ravens definitely helps. Yeah. But I think there's just something to say when that guy has all-purpose yards are exactly that. You get them how you can get them. So that shows versatility, right? While DJ, I brought up DJ, DJ shows the ability to say, okay, here's a guy who's willing to start and, and going to put in the work each and every week and going to do it no matter who he's got behind behind the helm. Yeah. That's impressive. But to me, what's more impressive is a guy that can do it from anywhere. Right. And any way. So I look at it. I, th- I think Torrey Smith is the guy I got to go with here as the, as the best wide receiver of Terps, Terps history. I'm going to go. So I was 1A and 1B on two guys. Torrey Smith was one, uh, all for the reasons that you mentioned. And I was 1B on another guy. And it's not DJ Moore. It's not Stefan Diggs. I think both of those guys are great wide receivers, and they're absolutely top five wide receivers in Terps all time, 100%. I think Darius Hayward Bay had a pretty good career here too. Yeah. But the guy for me, if you're a little bit older, maybe you got a chance to watch him, you know, play as a Terp, or if you didn't, you got him to watch a chance to watch him play as a Raven. Yeah. And that's Jermaine Lewis. Jermaine Lewis, what he brought in totality. When you listen to some of these stats, right, he had – just under 3,000 receiving yards in his career, 2,932 yards receiving, 21 receiving touchdowns, 193 receptions. He had two 200-yard games, 15 15 100-yard games, program best, most all-time. Impressive, yeah. And to put that in context, Torrey Smith was second on the list for 100-yard games. He had seven. Half. Less than half. Less than half of what Jermaine Lewis had. Jermaine Lewis had 15. I didn't realize his numbers were that, that, that much. That's, that's, that's just what he did as a wide receiver. Right. <laughs> Let's add, like you talked about Torrey Smith and what he did as a returner. He had 33,950 career all-purpose yards. In his senior season, his senior season in 1995, he was named first-team All-ACC. This guy... I mean, he, he, one of the greatest all-around wide receivers in Terp history, in my yeah. opinion. I, I just, uh, he's a total package for me. And so then, you going him 1A and Torrey 1B? Yes. Okay. If I'm putting him in rank, I was going back and forth on both of these guys because I really like Torrey Smith and I really like Jermaine I, Lewis. I don't, I don't, I can't, I can't sit here and, and make an argument against anything you're saying. I think it makes absolutely, I didn't realize he had that many, that many games with a hundred yards plus. That's just damn impressive at that point. I mean, yeah, you're making me kind now, of like question my decision it's, here. It's, but. it's tough because, right, if you put Stephon Diggs and DJ Moore, guys that didn't have very good quarterbacks throwing, put them in those eras. What could have they done? We're, yeah. we're talking something totally different here, yeah. right? I don't think this is even a question. But just based on their production as Terps, in my opinion, I think Jermaine Lewis takes it. Okay, fair enough. I mean, I don't, I don't think there's any argument there. I know that we had uh, Nick chime in. Nick says DJ. So, I mean, look, there, there's an argument that DJ did well, right? But yeah. I think Fred and I just both proved that there's two guys that stand out well, a little bit more. You, you can't discredit DJ. No, I'm not. Like you said, the consecutive starts streak that he had, uh, I mean, he had, what, uh, 80 catches for a little over 1,000 yards and eight touchdowns in his final year as a junior. He set the Maryland season season, season record for receptions that year with 80. So, I mean, listen, there's no denying the production that he put up, especially with the, the lack of talent that he had throwing him the ball. James, what do, James, what do you and Brian think? Real, real quick, um, <clears throat> Fred, what conference did uh, Jermaine Lewis play? Played in the ACC. Okay. 
That's a yep. harder one. Yeah, what, I agree no, with that too. No, but what's what's a harder one? You think the Big Ten is? Then Diggs played the Big Ten. Uh, I don't know. You're talking about the you're AC. Talking, you're talking different decades as well, though. I understand that. You're right. You're talking about the ACC when Florida State was in their prime. That's when, it, though. My, Miami was still good back then. Miami was still good back then. Yeah. Um, who well, am I missing? Got, you got Duke. Duke was trash. Okay. Yeah, then, you, then you had um, Carolina was Carolina trash. trash. Right. So. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I get your point. I get your point. <sighs> so you have to have AA. Right, yeah, no, I yeah, but our point. But, I but were were those were those uh, were the schools that were all of the schools in the Big Ten as good as they are now? Yeah, you got Michigan, Penn State, uh, Ohio. Ohio State. Uh, yeah. playing some good competition. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good point. That's a good point. Fair enough. So, all right, moving right along. All right, Scott, it's time for this week's rundown, and I know you got a chance to watch this new special for your favorite player, baseball player, all time. Uh, I didn't get a chance to watch this, so I'm going to live vicariously through you as you kind of paint this picture of what well, I mean, Junior was all about. If you would have texted, if you would have responded to my text, could have come over and watched it. Just saying. <laughs> Just I, don't know, I had a busy weekend. Things were, <laughs> things was, were crazy. It was great, man. It was, it was very, very Did, good. You got the chance to watch I got, it? I got the chance to watch it, yeah. We know, was, we know you don't have MLB Network, James, so you're not able to watch it. No, it, it, it took me like 10 minutes to get my cable box hooked back up because I, I had a, a friend of mine come in and put a ceiling fan in. So I'm going to go, boop, boop, boop. I'm like, what the hell? What's going on? What's, what's going on here? I'm like, oh, crap. I got to hook the, the cable box back up. So I missed like the first 10 minutes, but... <laughs> <laughs> caught, caught the rest of it. It was it was very very good. Well, I mean, look, there was there was such nostalgia in this thing. We this is we we are in this. The Corona has brought out the nostalgia floodgates. That's all oh, we yeah. can do right now. <laughs> There's nothing else to talk but about. But it's not like it, when I say nostalgia floodgates, it's not like oh, what did the what did the Orioles do in 2014 and through you know 2012 through 20? Yeah. It's our childhood, and they ESPN, MLB, these sport net networks, they are nailing it with the choices on these, right? So you you see him come in. They talk a lot about his history coming up. Obviously, him and his dad, right, being on the same team. They draft him, and then they, you know, midseason go sign his dad. Right. Then him and his dad wind up having, you know, the, the game where they hit back-to-back homers. First time ever father and son hit homers, right? You have the fact that his first game at the Kingdom. He hits a homer out, right? Right. Just such great stories. One of the stories that I didn't hear about, and I was I, like, my jaw dropped, and my respect got even better. Was and this the bigger. one about the Yankees? It was. Yes. I heard. I like didn't like I said. I didn't watch the special, but I heard this afterwards. So yeah. Crazy. So for those of you that didn't watch it, long story short, he was when his his dad got 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 brought over to play for the Yankees for a little bit, right? Yeah. So. When his dad got brought over to play for the Yankees, he went to go see his dad. This was before he was actually in Major League Baseball. He was sitting in the dugout with his dad. And some security guard came over and said, no, he has to go. Mr. Steinbrenner doesn't want anybody in the dugout. Meanwhile, there's another player on the Yankees. I think it was. I think he said Nettle. Yes. Nettle's kid was out there shagging balls at third base. Yep. It it drove into the into the current situation that we're in yep. with the racism, right? But what what came back was there's there's actually video of it. He's signing autographs 
in, oh, I saw in, that. in front of the Yankee, in front of Yankees fans. He's signing yeah. them for Yankees fans, and they're like, "You ought to come to New York." He's like, "I'll never come to New York. It'll never happen." And they're like, "Oh, come on, never say never." And he's like, "If the Yankees offered me a contract, and they were the only ones to offer me the contract, no matter how big it was, I'd retire." Because he said he would never play for the Yankees because of what happened there. Good on him. And I have to say that, like, that's a lot of respect, especially for what's happening today. Because some some people w- would take it a different route. He said, "Fine, you just won't get <laughs> what I bring to the table, and I bring a lot." Right. Right. So it, it just was really awesome to see, um, you know, the the two thousand trade to the Yankees or trade to the Reds uh, was all about the family for him. The interesting thing here that I kind of was like scratching my head a little bit, right? He says he was trying to actually go to Florida. He had a home in Florida at the time. So he wanted to get traded somewhere in Florida. And then all of a sudden, I guess things came out and he said, you know what? Just trade me a sense. Take me back home where, where I grew up around my dad playing for the big yeah. red machine. Yep. That's why that whole move happened. But it, it was quite interesting because they went into the story and some of the details of it and, and things that I kind of made me go, okay, that, I didn't know that. And I'm a big Griffey fan. Yeah. So then you get them talking about he gets there and we've talked about this before, but I got a question for you because they kind of somewhat addressed it in here. Did the move to Cincy hurt his legacy? I think it did. I think it did. Uh, Since he wasn't very good at the time and even adding him, I mean, what did they make the playoffs like once or twice in his tenure that he was there? Not to mention he, he, his, in his first year he played 33 games or right. i'm sorry he missed he missed 33 games by i want to say it was june or july yeah. he missed 33 games from injury I, i've always been a big fan of the guys that make a career somewhere and are there from beginning to end we saw it with cal ripkin we saw it with ray lewis you know the guys that that are those mount rushmore kind of guys in a city like that's something that i always valued in yeah. certain athletes and, you know, maybe Seattle didn't want to pay him anymore and, and wanted to move on from him. But Seattle was, doesn't do with that. Well, Seattle was just so competitive back then. I mean, they, you know, the Jay Buners of the world, the Edgar Martinez, Cal, you know, Ken Griffey, and, and they had Alex Rodriguez. Alex Rodriguez. In the yeah. yeah. So I'm, it's, I'm, I'm actually happy that you brought that up because that was Randy one of the Johnson. When they talked about this, when I said it was all about the family, it literally was all about the family. Like Griffey went to them and said he literally went to them and said, I am done. I, I, I am. I, my my child's getting ready to go into school. I need to be somewhere near my family. I am done. It was they trade him and get something out of. It. He basically was saying like, trade me and get something, get something out of me because otherwise I'm going to retire. Like that's kind of the conversation that was had. He was he was willing to walk away from baseball if they were unable to trade him. Wow. And that was the interesting thing. I mean, this is a guy that at that point it was 12 years in baseball for him. And he's ready Almost to Almost sounds to me like he kind of lost love of the game in a way. And it sounded like he just wanted to go somewhere to he, finish out his career. So he was he was homesick is what the problem was. Is, it, is that was the big problem. His child was just getting ready to yeah. start kindergarten, right? His oldest son was just getting ready to start kindergarten. He had been away from his wife, you know, so much. They're down in Florida. He literally at opposite opposite ends of the country. Yeah. Right. Family in Florida. He's up in Seattle. It was it was hard. And I can only imagine he's a fam he's a family guy. He We've always heard that about him is that he's a family guy. And to see the story that you thought it was, oh, they were, the story was supposedly that Seattle was ready to pay him. Despite him being, you know, 
starting that that latter half of his career, they were ready to pay him because what he brought for that organization. Right. But he said he he called the shot. He called the shot completely, one hundred percent. Disagree. He no, he I, called I that shot you. completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it just it it was really interesting to see. I have it taped on YouTube TV, so we might have to go watch here. Yeah, I, I, to I definitely it. want to watch it just to get a chance to watch it this week. To, yeah. To me, the most surprising part of that whole documentary was how much Ken Griffey kept that team in Seattle. Oh, yeah. Because especially, I know we're going to jump ahead a little bit, was the the playoffs again, versus the Yankees. 95. Right? Yeah, 95. Yeah. Especially when Griffey ran from first to third. I mean, yeah. he they even say he saved Seattle baseball with him running from first to third. And he even talked about it, too. He's like, I know my home field advantage. I know if he hits that ball down that third baseline, oh, yeah. I'm running for first to home. He right. knew he knew left field was softer, uh-huh. and the ball, would, the ball was going to travel and bounce a little bit more. Right. But, but how bizarre is it that, that he knew how, like the aspects of home field? And just to think back of, because there was a lot of talk at that time, and I didn't realize there was a lot of talk at that time about Seattle leaving. Just right. packing up and leaving, and Seattle Supersonics would have been the only franchise they would have had in Seattle. And it's just bizarre. <laughs> Didn't work out be, for them very well. Yeah, <laughs> it, and that's the other thing that, that I was thinking about while I was watching. It's like, man, they ended up Seattle well, Supersonics left, and then you know you had the Seattle Manners, which I think they they got they, yeah. they got the better echelon of the deal there. But still, to, to think that Ken Griffey saved baseball for Seattle, especially with that first, the third. I mean, first the home was insane to me. I had never thought of it that way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's and he. The funny thing was, he told when he was telling the story and, and all that. He got. He said he got home and he, when he got home, he talked to his wife. His wife was like, "I didn't know you could run that fast." He goes, <laughs> "You never show him how much you got in the tank." Uh-huh. <laughs> so it was, right. it, it was really cool to see. But I mean, just some st- the stats on him. You know, five. His number five hundred came on Father's Day in, in two thousand four. Right. Uh, 600 goes out four years later, almost to the day within five days of the, the day on four years later. Um, the 2009 return to the Seattle storybook first at bat home run out. Yeah, right. The awesome. whole th- factor, that. whole factor of his first hit in the kingdom was a home run and his last hit in the kingdom was a home run. He ended, he ended and sent it out, sent it out on, on its way. Um, you know, it, it just all goes in and then they, they emphasize the clean play. That was the, that was the interesting thing that I thought they did at the end. They actually talked and addressed the steroids, mm. right. And saying every player that they interviewed, obviously, you know, some people are going to say, Oh, well, it was for the documentary. They don't want to make him look bad. Every single player said Griffey played the game clean. I mean, that's good. I, yeah, I don't know. Which they're saying that actually might have been to his detriment yeah. when he got hurt. Because we talked about why were a lot of players yeah. taking it to, because I of injury. Quickly. Right. This is a guy, and they talked about it. This is a guy that went all out all the time. Yeah. And that's what hurt him when he got to Cincy, especially playing in the cold weather. Right. He was in a dome out yeah. in Seattle. That's a good point. Now he's playing in Cincy, a little bit cold weather. That's why he got hurt early in the season. So... Really interesting to see, but 630 home runs all time, 13-time All-Star, 10-time Gold Glove, 7-time Silver Slugger, and obviously 26 Hall of Fame, 99.3%, three people that didn't vote, and they they addressed that too. They literally... 
And, and I want to know those guys' names. I'm sorry. How the hell do you not vote for Ken Griffey? <laughs> J- J- how that's not 100% still baffles my mind to this day. That pisses they me off. They interviewed Jay Beaner. Maybe Jay- it was uh, George Steinbrenner or somebody. Yeah, the yeah well, it was the Yankees. He, yeah. he, they even came outside. It was the, somebody. They were Yankees fans. Jay- they were the ones that, that did not vote for him. Jay Buhner said, who the hell are those people? Give me their names now. <laughs> like, he was ready to go. But it was, it was just great. And then, you know, taking you back to the suit, right? They didn't yeah. go in, in depth on, that, on, on seeing the suit, but seeing that suit and, like, he just he inspired a generation, and they had they had LeBron in this, yeah, right. Interview because he's from there. They had Macklemore, who's we all know, a recording artist out there in Seattle. He just changed the he changed sports for generations. He made baseball cool, as LeBron put it, uh, for young African Americans, yeah, in the city that they could go out and they could play, and it could be a cool sport. And obviously, he inspired a trend, yeah. For sure. You and I are still wearing it to this day. Yep. Big reason why I do. Uh, So speaking of African-American athletes in sports, right? Let's keep the trend going because that was another popular topic this week. uh, As there was originally, we'll talk about the the latest breaking news that happened before Right Right before the show, yeah. The news had broke a few days, a few days ago that a noose was found in the pit stall of NASCAR's only African-American driver, Bubba Wallace. Yeah. And the media, rightfully so. They ran They ran with it. Took this yeah. story and ran with it, and I was glad that they did. Well, they, they also ran with it because of everything that was happening outside of Talladega as well. You know, obviously, they, they right. banned the Confederate flag there. So you have a bunch of people that, you know, people are passionate about things. Right or wrong, people get passionate about things, and right. they sh- people showed up in force down there with flags flying. Somebody flew a plane over top that said with "Defund NASCAR" flag. with the Confederate flag. So it was just it was this outpouring of of emotion on both sides. Um, but it really came together. I know you you were really you know touched by the moment that we yeah, saw, and it, I was too. It, it was it was pretty incredible. Um, we talk about like athletes and sports stars and sports in general, right? Having this huge platform that they can use for social issues like this, right? And use it for the betterment. And unfortunately, for years, they haven't been using it. Not strongly enough, yeah. right? And NASCAR is a sport that is predominantly white. Obviously, like I said, Bubba Wallace is the only African-American driver in NASCAR mm-hmm. currently. Uh, so this was a big deal to Bubba. And Bubba had just a couple of days prior, a couple of weeks prior, uh, petitioned NASCAR to have them stop flying the Confederate flags at tracks. And right. NASCAR abided by that. And to the you know disappointment of some white NASCAR fans in certain states and certain areas that started protesting as to why NASCAR should still be flying the Confederate flag, which is absolutely absurd and absolutely ridiculous. Right. So Bubba stood his ground on that. And then you get this new situation, right? And, and this is one of those situations that NASCAR could have either stepped up and done what's right to support and rally behind Bubba, or they could continue going down a wrong, the wrong path uh, and, and really F this one up. But what they did, and, this, and what the story behind this I thought was kind of cool, uh, the drivers, some of the drivers started a group text message behind mm-hmm. the scenes without Bubba. Um, I don't remember who the first one. It might have been Kevin Harvick and Jimmy Johnson 
that I think I originally... I think Blaney was in there who actually won the ways. I think he was also one of the ones that started it as well. Well, Blaney and him are friends. Okay, so they started this group text about doing something and going standing by Bubba during the national anthem at this race, right? That's how the whole text started. Then it was, no, we need to do something bigger. And I think it was Kevin Harvick who mentioned, I did hear this, yeah. let's push him to the front of pit, pit road. Put him at the front of the line. Putting him at the front of the line, and let's all stand behind him. And when you saw this unfold in video and if you haven't seen it yet it's a powerful moment the commentators were you could hear it in their voice the emotion and the the just the the, the raw power that this moment had for the nascar community it, it was it was a powerful moment one of the more powerful moments that, that'll get replayed for years in sports you know there's there's sports clips that we see you know with the, the olympics and the guys holding yeah. their hands up this is going to be i think in my opinion one of those iconic images one of those iconic moments where they push him and not only do they push him up and not only do the drivers follow him up there but all the pit crews the entire team all the nascar officials all the nascar officials everybody follows him up and he gets out of the car and he's emotional he breaks down he cries and richard richard petty his team owner is the first one to greet him I just thought it was a really, really good moment, and I think NASCAR did exactly what they needed to do to use their their stage for positive, uh, and and really stand behind Bubba. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, and then you know you also have the the fact that right they also announced that they were going to you know do the investigation and that they were going to um, you know whoever it was because this these are secure areas right, right. these are areas that that if it was. If it, the person that had to get in there had to have a NASCAR pass. It right. had to be somebody that you can identify, period. Right. So they they wanted to launch an investigation. They were going to ban the person. Well, it came out right, right before, before the, the show. show. Literally right before the show. Hour before the show, if that. NASCAR and the FBI together announced after their investigation, they have determined that Bubba was not the victim of a hate crime. And some people start to, you stop there, and some people will start to get mad, and other people are starting to go, well, good, Right. Here's the story. The pull rope, it was, it was a pull rope that you see pull ropes in garages all the time. The pull rope that was fashioned like a noose had actually been in place since October and well before Wallace and his team got their garage right. assignment. Nobody knew where anybody was going to be in this garage at that particular time. And it apparently, from what this report, the FBI is saying, is that it was there prior to Bubba ever being assigned to that, to that stall. Right. So that doesn't negate anything. No, it doesn't for negate me. the situation. It doesn't negate the situation. I'm glad that there wasn't somebody that did this and that, you know, that all the proper steps were taken and that NASCAR still showed their support for the movement, for Black Lives Black Lives Matter, for Bubble Wallace. Yeah. And it doesn't negate any of that. And they said that they said that in their additional statement was they went on to they went on to say that this this still doesn't change that they want to make this a sport for all and that Absolutely. everyone is safe and feels you know feel safe and doesn't feel like they could be harmed in these situations. So, and I've always and I've always had all right. I grew up a NASCAR fan and I grew up a NASCAR fan because my father was a big NASCAR fan. Right, right. I have some backstories to NASCAR that uh, connected me there from when I was a little kid. Uh, but my father was a big NASCAR fan, so I went to the tracks. I went to Dover. I went to Richmond. I went to uh, to Talladega. I've been to Daytona. I've been to a bunch of the racetracks. Now, 
as I got older, I kind of got away from it. As NASCAR went more and more commercial and too, you know, political and all that stuff, I kind of got away from NASCAR. But I've always, in the back of my mind, thought NASCAR had a very bad image. I always thought of them as being, I don't want to say racist, but I always felt as though it, they, they, they had a very bad image in that community, right? Uh, again, flying the Confederate flags, Everywhere. I mean, you see him at the, you know, in the stands everywhere. In the it's infield, just, yeah. It's just the kind of fan base that they have, the general fan base that they have. So for NASCAR to know that about their fan base, right? Know the pr- potential financial impact from that and still do what's right. Hats off to NASCAR. They got it right. And I commend them for doing so. Yeah, I, I I think they did. They handled this in the right situation and did exactly what they wanted to do. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna save. We have a story about the the uh, college campuses with coronavirus and the NFLPA. Uh, we're gonna save those two stories for the two minute warning here. Okay. Uh, so we're gonna jump down to Portland Trailblazers here. Oh wait, we got we got this. Okay. Yeah, all right. We'll, 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 we got questions for you guys. All right. So he's, all right. They're going to cool. surprise us here. I like it. All right. We're going like to keep it. going then. Uh, all right. So coronavirus uh, hits college athletes and campuses. Um, could this be a sign that, you know, close contact sports are going to be down for a while, right? We had se- big, big thing to do about this week, right? Several LSU players are quarantined. Yeah. There's what, over 30 players? Yep. Um, not all of them have apparently tested positive, some of them just showing signs. Yep. Kansas State stopped all sports. They had 14 of 130 athletes, multiple sports, test positive. Houston suspended their workouts. Texas announced Thursday 13 football players tested positive. Friday, 23 Clemson football players have announced it. They're just adding up here. Yeah. Is this a sign that maybe we're not ready to go back into close contact? It doesn't look good. Uh, Like I've said already a, a couple of times. The numbers in the southern states where it's the hottest temperatures are, you know, increasing the most. That's not encouraging for any kind of summer sports, you know, any kind of summer, you know, it's as much as I want football and as much as I'm I'm trying to hold on to hope for football, this scares me. You know, I, I just when you're starting to see these numbers and these guys aren't really getting into the 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 rigmaroles of like practice and right. and physically grabbing onto each other and those numbers are only going to increase more once the actual physical contact starts not just being in close vicinity of each other not just working out in the same gyms with the, with each other yeah. when they start physical contact these numbers are going to go through the roof yeah well i think the thing too that you're you know you're thinking about is the other thing like you you brought up the gyms right and that was one point that i thought was really interesting is a lot of these places you know these ha- they have big facilities, but when you pack all these players into these gyms who already have rough ventilation as it is, mm. you're going to get stuff like this. So if it were better structured, there was an interesting point to this. It wasn't a good structure on their part, on these these colleges' part. They have all these guys coming at the same time instead of saying, okay, wide receivers, you get it from this time to this time. Linemen, you get it from this time to this time. Defensive linemen, you get it from this time. That's how it should have been done. You, you get in there, you disinfect it, you wipe it down in between. Players here, you wipe down in between as well, however you want to do it. There are ways to go about doing this if that's the case. But when you pack these guys in, it becomes hard. Now, to your point, when you get into close contact, we don't know how long the exposure needs to take. Right. Right? 
But these guys also usually have mouth guards in, face shields on, right? You, we could see an adjustment for NCAA. Every player's got to have a face shield on the inside of their uh, mask. Right. That could help solve it, right? So there's different things that we could see that wind up coming out that could help. Um, but there's, there's also some things that I think they're doing wrong that are part of the reason that you're seeing this inflation. And to, I don't know if it's Ryan or Kaylee, it's on Kaylee's Facebook, but I think she brings up a great point. If you do that, though, you're wiping out an entire position group like, like by doing that, right? So if you say all wide receivers, it's your turn to use the gym. All linebackers, it's your, your turn to use the gym. You're handicapping yourself because if one guy in that linebacker core gets it, all the linebackers now got it. Now you have an entire position group with no backups to replace them, right? It's a, it's it's. I understand what you're saying. Like maybe it's okay. Not then, then you go. You, it's broken into numbers to kind of help. Right. Spread Every position out. group has your one, your five, your yeah, one through five, right. and then you're going. You with group break one. it up into like if it's going to be five people in the gym at one time, five people at different positions, so you don't increase the risk of multiple people being infected at the same position. Yeah, I mean so that's I, a great point, and that that is that is an absolute that is a really great point. I think that the thing that you're you're risking when it comes to especially like weightlifting at that point, not saying that this is case right but offensive linemen generally going to lift about the same defensive linemen maybe you, you need to make sure then that there's an offensive lineman or a few offensive linemen in with the defensive linemen because then you risk these guys they don't know how each other works out yeah so now you're risking and that's injury fine. offensive that. line defensive line mixing them up but you're you're not putting all the nose tackles together you're not putting all the defensive ends together yeah. you're spreading it out a little bit so that's i think more so i get it i get the point yeah. i think it's i think it's a great point First, First, second, and third string should ice should isolate together. Yeah, yeah, but that's that goes right back to the point. Now you now you wipe out your entire first string if that happens. Yeah, no, I I understand. I, I think there's a way saying. to balance it. There's a way to balance it. I'm sure. Right. Um. So kind of leading with that, NFLPA came out this past week, and we kind of alluded to this earlier. Doctor Tom Meyer, who is their you know their doctor for the NLPA, he said players should follow the safety protocols and should not be working out together. And that they're going to be expected to make sure that this, their, these safety protocols are set and ready to go for training camps in July. Right. So we're, we're taking a step in that direction, but we're going a step backwards in that until we say so, you can't work out with anybody. Right. That's why like this whole coaching staffs and everybody getting back to the facilities for me it didn't really change a whole lot right right because they everything that they're accomplishing accomplishing in the facility i feel like the coaching staffs could have accomplished virtually like i didn't see the benefit to it you really don't see the benefit until the players can get in there start doing the individual workouts start doing the the camp practices right. and that kind of stuff so who needs until, more help with the playbook? Who needs who needs right, more help un, with this? Until we can get a plan mapped out for that, and until everybody feels comfortable with players being able to work out together, you can't. I mean, honestly, you can't have that high expectations for there to be football. Yeah, I mean, the little bit exposure that they're giving them right now, it's spreading. Well, we heard last week that the Cowboys and the Texans both had. Yeah, had players, you know, they're saying that they got it. It's every day. Every day there's new teams. There's new numbers that are coming out where, you know, people are being exposed. And again, the amount of exposure that they're having together as a team is very limited right now. Yeah, very limited. Uh, Last but not least, Portland Trailblazers forward Trevor Ariza is opting out of participation. Uh, He's, you know, their, their top top forward there. 
He's opting out of participation in the start restart of the NBA season. Yeah, a lot of players are. And you're, so, as you say, he was he started kind of the trend, so to speak, of players opting out, saying that they didn't want to do it. Uh, for him, it's he's he's got a situation with his son, right? He has a 12 year old son. It's a custody case. He basically gets a one month of visitation. That's his month of visitation. I can't say I, I blame him. I understand his reasoning for this. It's not has nothing to do with the protest, has nothing to do with the medical, has everything to do with this. I'm going through this, the, this fight with just have my son. This is literally the only time I can have my son. Yeah, I am taking it. Yeah, I don't blame him. I don't blame him one bit at all. Uh, like I said, I think there's a lot of players uh, that are going to do this, not just because of their family time, but I think a lot of players aren't going to play because of, of the COVID, the, the scare of all that, plus yeah. because of the protests and everything. Um, so I don't know. I think the NBA is doing the right thing by moving forward and trying to you know finish out some resemblance of a season, but... Well, they're also doing it right by they're, they're trying to keep everybody in the same place. Right. Right. If somebody get does have exposure, you can easily trace it at that point because you know where everybody's been. You know where everybody's at. Right. Like they're not going to be they're supposedly not going to be able to go out to like dinner. It's going to be, right. you know, supplied, all this other stuff. So they they I think they work. They were working in the right direction. Uh, I just had to bring up the story because it, it went against what everybody thought it was for. And for all the right reasons, he's stepping away. All right, Scott, it's time for the two-minute warning that we did not do anything to prep for. We are completely blind uh, on this. <laughs> I, I, I noticed this when we were getting through the Ravens section. I'm like, ah, what are we going to do? I was like thinking of a plan the entire time where I was so distracted. I'm like, I don't even know what we're going to do. I thought it, I thought it was going to come off the – something's going to come off the rundown. That's what I was trying to so, do before these two knuckleheads figured it out. So, yeah, we, we came to the rescue and came up with a couple Appreciate ideas. it, man. So, Appreciate it. on the fly. On the fly. So, the first question I have for you guys – Who's answering it first, me or Scott? Uh, <laughs> you uh, are, buddy. You know what? I'll start with Scott. I'll start there with Scott. There we go. What the hell? Yeah. I like it, Brian. Yeah, <laughs> buddy. While I'm, while I'm talking, your ass is doing a shot. <laughs> <laughs> James, you can pour it. So we Bartender, had, Joe Boo needs a refill. <laughs> Joe Booty. So we had a, a retirement come up recently when I want to get your guys' take. So The Undertaker is finally hanging it up. And I don't know how much you guys know of the WWF. I still call it the WWF. Screw it. That's what Thanks, it was sir. when it started. The man, the myth, the legend, the, the man who went 21 undefeated WrestleManias is finally hanging it up. I just want to get your guys' impression of the man, the myth, the legend, The Undertaker. All right, so for me, I actually, I, I've i always been a big fan of The Undertaker. Um, I've been fond of everything he does because he's poured his soul into that character. Um, I've actually have watched, I have WWE Network just for the purpose that I wanted to watch. I heard they were coming out with their version of the, of the you know, last ride with him. Loved it. Amazing. Not surprised. And his last match was actually probably one of his better ones. Undertaker was one of my favorite wrestlers growing up. I watched wrestling when I was younger, right? And just the performance that he put on, you know, everything from Paul Bear to, you know, coming out of the casket, like just the whole entertainment value yeah. of what The Undertaker was. And to have as good a career and as long a career as he had was great. 
But I hate seeing some of these great fighters hang on a little too long. We saw that with Ric Flair hung on way too long. <laughs> Undertaker hung on a little too long. But the biggest thing, the best thing about him was he was his biggest critic. He came back and did it right this last year. Exactly. I think it's good time for him to sail off. So what do you guys? So what do you guys think about the Jones and Tyson fight? So I, I, when I saw this come across, I, I literally was like, "You got to be kidding me!" But then I'm like, "It fits John Jones. Yeah. You want to get paid big money? Your your ass is gonna go against the best." And I'm telling you what, I don't care how good John Jones is, I don't want to face a prime Mike Tyson right the now. The only way John Jones wins that fight if he snorts four or five lines of coke <laughs> before he gets in there, and he's on another level where he doesn't feel shit. Because let me tell you, 50-year-old Mike Tyson's going to knock his ass out. <laughs> Have you seen these clips of him fighting? and like damn good. The speed, the power that he has is unreal, and this guy is in his 50s. John Bones Jones, I had a lot of respect for you early on in your career, <laughs> but you are a shell of what you were. No chance and out of John your league. Have. No <laughs> chance does John Bones have at he, all. He is out of his league with this fight for sure, man. <laughs> Oh, oh man. All right, Scott, sign us out, man. Well, it's good to have everybody back in studio this week. It we, was. We, yeah, we've man. been, like, up and down. We got together, and then we not, not together. We got together, we got not got together. Now we're back together. Yeah. All you fuckers better be here next week. I'll That's be all I'm saying. Hey, all right? That's me. <laughs> so we appreciate you guys tuning in each and every week, as you always do. Obviously, check us out on our website, www.birdlandbs.com. While you're there, check out all of our episodes. Leave us a, a little comment there. Tell us what you think. Check out the the uh, Shell and Tell podcast on the, the page as well. Yeah. And then also make sure you check out the gear page. On the gear page, you can get yourself some of that Birdland BS gear, which I talked about the mask last week. That was a complete failure because the masks, when I say it was the size of a quarter, that's how big our logo would have been. Wasn't about yeah, to be able to do that. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, make sure you all also follow us. Big Play, Big Play Twitter page. Download the Big Play app. Uh, BirdlandSports.com as well. We're partnered up with them. Social media, obviously, at Birdland BS. If you're watching the show, you have found us. Go find us on the other ones, okay? At Birdland BS, at Fred BLBS, at Scott BLBS, at Bartender underscore Blake, all on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Snapchat. Like I said, at Birdland BS. Like, subscribe, and follow while you're there. Share and be a part of the Birdland BS Nation. As always, the audio version of the podcast, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, wherever you want to listen at, we're there. Go check us out leave us those those reviews there as well it helps us get found more each and every time thanks for tuning in as always we'll be back next tuesday 7 30 eastern standard time on social media for fred myself brian couch james over there lazy boy james <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you guys next week stay see tuned you. for the after hours